Carlo Tevez, Tevez da solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez al limite dell'area, rimane fuori tutti Tevez! Welcome back to More Than A Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. We've got a midweek pod for you all this week, uh, recorded on a Wednesday night in international break uh, where the ruse went 10 in a row, a dodgy streaming service gets investigated, and we finally get the football pundit reunion we've all been waiting for. Yep, Fozzie and Bozza are back. (laughs) I'm Colby and I'm joined today by Tommy, Damo and Shannon. Um, Boys, uh, welcome in. We'll go to you first, Shannon. How are you, mate? How's things since we last had you on the pod? Yeah, it's been a while. I'm very stoked to be back. Um, tired from last night's Socceroos game, but aside from that, pretty good. And, and Tommy, I see you're on the um, the Wednesday wines uh, in your in, in your Lego top. I thought it was a Socceroos top, but um, you, we've got a yellow yellow Lego top, mate. Hey, how's that going? <laughs> Yeah, mate. Uh, I think the last time I actually wore this was when Shannon was last on the pod and we never end up talking about it on the pod. So uh, we can shoehorn it in today at some point, I guess. <laughs> For those playing along at home, it's the uh, the Builders FC Lego uh, kit from that Kid and Bone did a couple of years ago or about six months ago. So, yeah. How many teams were there? In the Builders Not enough. Lego? <laughs> the Builders <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best part of the kit is that they've taken like the Bundesliga logo and like converted it into like a Lego symbol. It's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, of course this exists. Of course yeah. it does. Oh shit. Uh and Damo, uh mate, you're also here. Uh how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Also uh stayed up late last night to to watch a game that almost put me to sleep, but I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about that later. That we will, we will. Uh, there is plenty coming up on the show today. Um, as I said, we've got the international break around the grounds. Um, we'll round up on some Premier League after three match days and give you the highlights of a busy transfer window. Plus, um, the ruse are top of the group, um, but maybe we should be a bit worried, uh, which we will get to later. But first up, it's been a big weekend of international football. Um, so I thought we'd do a bit of an international break themed moment of the week and own goal. Tommy, I'll start with you. Give us give us an own goal for this week. Oh, mate, you've absolutely thrown me under the bus here because I've got to got to go out on a limb here and tell you that um, about tw- thirty seconds ago, I noticed the line in the run sheet saying about moment of the week and own goal. But look, <laughs> I can I can give you one. I can give you one. So, um, what are we going with for first moment of the week or own goal? Either, mate. Maybe oh, maybe go for moment of the week because oh, I think look. this is probably your own goal. <laughs> Look, I'll give you both rolled into one. So, look, I did happen to be, um, uh, I had Channel 7 on, uh, sorry, Channel 10 on uh, the TV uh, this evening while I was prepping dinner and happened to catch the project, that obviously flagship, if you can call it that, Channel 10 um, program at 7 o'clock, Peter Hellier um, and co. Uh, And Peter Hellier, he he gave the the Socceroos a bit of a shout out. And I thought, oh, this is is pretty cool. Like the the Socceroos are getting a mention on the project. Nah, so... um, Peter Hellier did mention that the 10 in a row, which is obviously better than what Celtic could do. Um, but he uh, then went on to pretty much just slam uh, Simon Hill for probably the next sort of 30 seconds about the stats and, and facts that Simon Hill was rolling out about like the stadium and when when the last time 
the Socceroos had played there in sort of the Vietnam War era. And I was just like, man, this doesn't feel like this has changed. Like, I still feel like soccer's still the joke here. And I was like, I went from like, oh, cool, Socceroos on TV to, but we're still just the butt of the joke. So um, mixed feelings. Moment of the week and and, and only goal rolled into one. Give it Waleed next time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll carry. Shannon, you're yeah. you're shaking your head, mate. Give us let's let's pick the tempo back up again. Give us give us a <laughs> moment of the week. Yeah, every time I hear Pete Hellier's name, I just die a little inside. So I'm hoping we don't have to hear his name again. <laughs> my, sorry, sorry for bringing him up on the pod, listeners. <laughs> my own goal. I'm sure you boys seen this because it was going around pretty much every Facebook group. Um, African qualifiers, which they're free on YouTube, by the way. Um, for a reason. bloke decided about three minutes into the game to just sit his head in front of the camera. So <laughs> that was that was one of the most comical things I've ever seen in football. I don't know how long he lasted there, but it was just a classic image going around. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that... that was uh, I, I had that down as one of my moments of the week. I think it was from the Uganda versus Mali game. So uh, huge, yep. huge game, a uh, lot at stake there in in the Afcon qualifiers. Um, <laughs> people are just tuning into the game thinking, oh, I might have a gander at this. No, uh, you can't gander. <laughs> I think I think my favorite part of, of the whole saga was they had they had two fixed cameras set up for the whole game, and uh, obviously the one on the halfway line that old mate stuck his big bald head in front of, they couldn't use. So they had one that was like um, from one end of the pitch, you know, old FIFA games, you could choose to go like north-south on the pitch and you could never <laughs> see what was going on. That's uh, It's like you're sitting in the back of the stands at, in uh, in the National Stadium in Uganda. So it would have been a great experience. <laughs> How long was it? Like, was this for a whole half or something? Did anyone tell them to 30 move? minutes or something. <laughs> AFCON. AFCON is a treat. Oh, Damo, we'll stick with you. Uh, what was your moment of the week, mate? Well, along with uh, the incident there in, in Uganda, I had down the uh, Declan Rice celebration against uh, Hungary. So uh, Declan Rice is well known not to that he doesn't drink, doesn't drink beer. He said it a lot. But uh, the Hungary fans were, were throwing their, their empty cups or their full cups at the England players when they were celebrating a goal. And, and Rice thought it would be a bit fun to pick up a cup and pretend like he was he was taking a drink of beer just to, I don't know, wind up the Hungarian fans. It was big um, uh, Megan Rapino drinking the tea. Or, no, was that, <laughs> was that uh, Alex Morgan? It was one of the American players in the World Cup drinking the tea. Um, that was, it was yeah, those kind of areas for me. Poor old Decky Rice, he would have been, been sloshed okay. after that if he's not a drinker. <laughs> yeah, one, one little drop on the tongue. One little stadium <laughs> Game <beer>. over. It's <laughs> like Barney. He's like Barney off the season. It begins. <laughs> I, my uh, moment of the week this week, boys, uh, it was the um, the APL women's football strategy that that dropped um, a few uh, really exciting highlights there. The expanded teams that are going to be added. There's going to be an expanded final series. There's a new CBA. And really interesting, this new club championship trophy that's going to be awarded based on the combined results between the men's and the women's clubs in order to bring like bring the clubs, I guess the men's and the women's sides of the clubs closer together. I just think that's a brilliant idea. I, I hadn't heard of it um, 
uh, until it was it was announced. Um, and to be honest, I don't know any more about it, but I, I like the idea. I like that it um, brings the the men's and the women's game together. It gives them sort of a, a sense of parity as well, that they're both important um, and that they're both contributing sort of towards the the overall success of a, of a club. So, uh, no, I really like that. And I guess um, it, it's interesting to see that this week as well we saw um, Central Coast and I think the Phoenix are going to be having W League teams. Um, I can't the remember the exact... Yep, yep, and the Woo. So it, it's all, all good signs about the, the W League after... Uh, I know plenty of people are probably a little bit concerned about the W League with sort of the player drain of late and, um, and I guess just COVID, sort of the length of the season as, as well. So um, it's, it's a good news as, as far as the women's game in Australia this, this, this week. And my other favorite part about that that announcement was they were also talking about the like the broadcast partnership with Channel Ten, and they were you know they were sort of saying it means improved broadcast standards, games that are going to be on commercial free to air TV, and then they signed off with and a committed partner, like fuck you, Fox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tommy, let's go back to you. What uh, have you got? An, have you got an own goal, or, or shall we just? Oh. Mate, I'm, I'm already up to my neck here. Like I'm about <laughs> to drown if you if you throw to me first. Um, uh, probably there we go. My own goal is that I don't have one this week. Uh, probably. Um, look, it, it, it was great. great that we had the Socceroos back this week, and so look, I'm just going to remain positive for now. <laughs> Damo, what about you, mate? Um, my my own goal comes from the the same game that my moment of the week came from, and. It, it was a moment of the week purely because how, how shit the Hungarian fans are. And we, we, we see this all the time. Um, every time Hungary play at home, there's, there's racism, there's violence, there's, there's a whole host of things go on inside that stadium. And UEFA never seemed to, um, to give them any punishment. So um, in, U, in UEFA's eyes, long may it continue apparently. How's the hubris from Boris Johnson though saying, "Oh yeah, like the, the this is unacceptable." Yet, like him and it happens uh, every Pri- week in Pri- uh, in the Premier League too. Yeah, so. and, and, and Priya Patel was all about um, uh, like backing people's um, sort of right to boo the the all uh, Black Lives Matter taking a knee kind of thing, and it's like, well, this is what that leads to. So, Shannon, mate, what's <laughs> what uh, what stood out to you? <laughs> Um, this one actually hasn't gone noticed by the Australian football community, probably because I don't think many people aside from me are in the um, Asian football groups, um, which is like <laughs> Singapore, Vietnam, Malaysia. Ryan Grant has caused almost a repeat of like the Syrian protests to the Socceroos. Some of the posts in that group are bringing back memories of that long rants, pictures of Ryan Grant. He's become public enemy number one, <laughs> saying it's a conspiracy of this and that. The amount of photos I've seen of that handball and they found similar incidents involving Ryan Grant and Australia and they're, they're like, they have some big conspiracy and it's been absolutely brilliant to read and watch. So <laughs> if anyone wants some entertainment, go join like the Vietnamese football fan groups and all that sort of thing. Just grab some popcorn and have a read. It's brilliant. <laughs> Sounds like a uh, moment of the week. I think we're going to have to get into this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a fine line, isn't it? Pull out some copy pasta. <laughs> oh, the length of the grass was was an issue. I'm certain. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know whether this one was going to be my uh, moment of the week or my own goal, but I, I, I sort of mentioned at the top it was the sports flick. 
um, their founder has, has, it's been announced that he's under investigation for fraud by New South Wales police um, following a complaint by one of their investors. And I mean, that, that's simply it at this stage. There's not too much more details around it, given that the investigation's ongoing. But I mean, I for one am shocked that claims of fraud and embezzlement are coming out of the, <laughs> the son of a building company owner who decided to start a streaming service with dubious links to overseas gambling. I mean, that's just Oof. shocking. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> colour me surprised. <laughs> um, but I, the other thing about I, this I just, is... I just want to know when they're going to announce like their their panel for who, who's going to be covering the Champions League for them. <laughs> well, that's the thing, Tommy. Like one, of the, it, it, it it's going to turn out that one of the main legacies of Sports Flick is that they were the ones who denied Optus from getting the Champions League, um, which obviously, as we now know, ended up going to Stan Sport, who were the second place bidder, um, and enter Fozzie and Bozza. So, I mean, you've got Sports Flick to thank for Fozzie and Bozza, really. It's one of those um, uh, butterfly effect um, moments in our history. I think think that could have been an own goal in itself, the fact that Bozza and Fozzie are paired together on TV. There's such a contrast of personalities. (laughs) This calm, measured, very thoughtful man and then Bozza. The guy who got like hammered, what, how many times for doing cocaine, like as a professional footballer, right? Like, just, can you imagine Fozzie doing cocaine, or is that why his hair went grey? Because he's just, his hair was just like just caked in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. oh. yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be living for the memes. I don't think I'm going to pay twenty five bucks for Stan Sport or whatever it is, just for the, just for the Champions League. But, um, you know, I'm going to have to get someone to hook me up with the memes. All right, let's let's uh, get on. Let's get on to some uh, Premier League <laughs> chat, boys. Um, we've we've had three match days uh, so far, and, and Tottenham are the only team to stay perfect, sitting atop the table with three wins. Arsenal, meanwhile, find themselves rock bottom with no wins and no goals. West Ham have put in a decent showing to sit seconds, uh, followed by Chelsea, Liverpool, Everton, and City. Boys, what have we learned after three match days? I won't go to you first, Tommy. Um, I'll, give you, I'll ease you into this. Hey, segment. Um, I've read the rest of the run sheet. Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to Damo first. Um, what's what's stood out to you in, in three match days so far? Arteta was never the man for the job, despite what Arsenal fans will tell you. It's, Oof. I mean, it's 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 pretty clear that he's he's taken them backwards in the time he's been there, and he's he spent a lot of money, and they've put a lot of trust in him, and 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 I don't think it's just. Arteta, obviously, it's it's been spoken about at length. The the whole setup they've got there, from the technical director to the um, the manager, and then the director of football, are all being their first time in in their job. I mean, it just it's just an absolute shambles at Arsenal at the moment. That that's what I've learned from from this season so far. But I mean, I should have already known that, shouldn't I? So Arteta's had a, as much experience managing a Premier League football team as the the founders of um, Sports Flick have had managing a streaming service. <laughs> I'd actually then, go as far as saying Sports Flick have more experience managing a streaming service than Arteta does as a manager of the Premier League. <laughs> he, he's one that'll really twist your noodle. Who do you think has been more successful though, Sports Flick or uh, Arteta? <laughs> Well, they've they've both they've both uh, spent a lot of money for not a lot of um, end result. 
Well, it just so happens that Sports Flick would just charge with fraud before Arteta has been. So. <laughs> <laughs> they, they both are uh, both are sniffing around, sort of like lower division, Eastern European leagues as well. So, <laughs> oh. I don't know how much more we can stretch this. So uh, like, let's <laughs> let's let's get off while while we're on while we're on a high. Uh, go to you, Shannon. Um, what what have we learned after three match days? Um, well, this is going to be a very Newcastle-centric because I'm a Newcastle fan. First of all, we've learned that movies can come true. Um, I don't know how I forgot to have this as my moment of the week, but Newcastle, <laughs> I think it happened last week, actually. Newcastle United signed a 19-year-old Mexican living in the US named Santiago Munoz, which <laughs> is pretty much identical to the, to the story of the movie Goal, if no one's somehow seen that movie which is just brilliant. And another thing I've learned is as a Newcastle fan to just shut up whenever they're winning because I recall um, smugly sliding into Tommy's DMs, Uh-oh. you know, just to, just to brag on on the fact that Newcastle were playing pretty well and I think we were beating West Ham. And, of course, Uh-oh. I looked like a pit as soon as Tommy <laughs> seen it and, and responded because I think we ended up losing like 4-1 or something. So that's what I've learned. If you're a Newcastle fan, just... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> is um is Santiago going to get a game over Gavin Harris though? I've heard he's he's cutting cutting about the Premier League. <laughs> I've heard he's shite. <laughs> <laughs> Niche budget movie reference right there. <laughs> One for the true believers uh, in in um in the listeners. I've, I've got Tommy. something to add to my lockdown uh, list as uh, uh, lockdown to do list as well, which is to watch Goal because I've never seen it. Oh, you're missing oh. out big time. I'll uh, report back for the next pod and, and let everyone know what I think. <laughs> nice. Uh, Tommy, what, what, have, what have you learned after three match days of the Premier League? I guess it's been pleasantly surprising to see that West Ham is still good. Um, it wasn't just sort of a, a one one season uh, wonder and they've they've returned. Speaking but... of an early crow. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get that, just get that out. Get that out of the way straight up. Um, it's been really good to watch Brighton actually be good and not just be promising mm. but terrible. <laughs> um, it's also been really interesting watching Everton um, actually be pretty good in the face of getting rid of like half of their squad and a lot of really overpaid, underachieving players. And he's, they've been replaced by um, underpaid, overachieving players, which seems to be sort of the antithesis of Everton for the, about the last three or four years. So, um yeah, that's been very unexpected. What else? Uh, no, I guess maybe the the disappointing thing has been that, um, I mean, if you look at the table now, um, there's a lot of teams that uh, already seem to be sort of fitting into where you would probably think that they are going to be fit, uh, sitting come into the season. I mean, you've got the likes of Norwich already in the relegation zone, haven't scored a goal, Burnley sort of thereabouts, um, Newcastle, Sorry, Shannon. Um, also thereabouts as well. Um, and Brentford then you look in 10th, at... Damo up and about. And then, I mean, you look at the top four. I mean, you've got just got Spurs, Man United, Chelsea and West Ham. So, I mean, that's just how things are probably going to end up finishing. So, it's just really disappointing that, I mean, already after three games, the, that's looking like how things are just going to end up. Oh, Tommy, <laughs> when those European fixtures start to hit. Just hit different, don't they? Playing Thursday mornings and, and Monday mornings. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how uh, Antonio's hammies are going to go on that uh, European grass. Oh, little, and the Jamaican grass as well. Ooh. That's right. <laughs> no pun intended. 
Uh, all right, boys. Well, the, the transfer window also came to a close since we last recorded. Um, and the window's been pretty wild for the Premier League, headlined by the return of Ronaldo to United and the return of Lukaku to Chelsea, which, all of which people would be pretty familiar with. But I want to know who you, who you liked and, and who you didn't and, and who you think some under-the-radar transfers are. We've already heard about the Santiago Munoz transfer from uh, from Shannon from Newcastle. But... Um, Damon, I might throw to you first. Who, who's been your favourite? My favourite to do with transfers has been Fabrizio Romano. I had <laughs> notifications on his Twitter for a, a good week, I reckon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just mm-hmm. I was going off nonstop. That man doesn't sleep his time of year. Um, but I think there's, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of good signings that have come into the league. Uh, Ronaldo, for me, obviously, has to be the headliner. But th- I think that there's a few players uh, I can't recall now but I, i'm pretty sure um was it burnt but did burnley sign a guy from the championship connor roberts from was, swansea was, yeah was that who it was and, yeah uh, yeah so I, I, I yeah go on tommy we burnley did some burnley did some uh some pretty tasty business but it was almost solely uh limited to fullback position so you're right they they did sign connor roberts from swansea and he looks a real prospect um, I think he could even slot straight into the team. And they also signed they, they equaled their record transfer for for Max uh Maxwell Cornet, Cornet, um, however you wanna wanna say it, um, from Leon for for 15 million. Um Ivorian was a first team player for like um a starter at, at Leon and had a really good season last year. So I mean he's gone from Leon playing, I'm pretty sure they were in the Champions League last year, and now now he's gone to Burnley. Like it's just wild but um I, I think both of them are improvements upon um the two players that they had playing fullback last year so look from from memory burnley had a takeover in like about um in the last sorry in the from last 12 months you american owners yeah yeah but they did nothing apart no, from these two fullbacks no burnley the the new owners heavily invested in the the academy they they went from a tier three to a tier one academy and they pumped mm. a whole lot of money into facilities and They've kind of tried to build the club that way rather than spend a lot of money. I think another player that I was, I mean, it's hard to say you're excited to see him back in the league, but a weird fact was Salomon Rondon has joined up with Rafa Benitez for like the fourth different club or something, fourth different time. So it'd be interesting. Rafa obviously has a plan for how to use him. So he will play. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see what kind of role he has at Everton. Because, I mean, he's just... It's an absolute behemoth of a man, isn't he? <laughs> Good touch for a big man, though. <laughs> Great footballer, I think. And uh, and Tommy, what's what's annoyed you? Any any transfer Ooh. stories in the window now that we've seen the whole thing that's uh, that's annoyed you, or any transfers for a particular club? Well, look, one one transfer was a little bit annoying. I mean, West Ham have demonstrated their their love for a Slavia Prague player um, in the last uh, 12 months, 18 months. They've signed, obviously, um, a fullback, a central midfielder, and then um, he was at Slavia Prague, but Alex Krull, the, um, the David Luiz uh, lookalike, he's been signed as well, ex-Slavia Prague player. I think he'd only been at CSK Moscow for about 12 months. Um, but there was another Slavia Prague player who's uh, actually moved to the Premier League. That's Abdallah Sima, who uh, he's only, I think, 19, maybe 20, um, and he's going to Brighton. So, I mean, it's just another reason not to like Brighton. But um, he, he looks a real prospect and someone that um, West Ham was sniffing around not that long ago. Um, and 
uh, I guess, e- even more uh, another reason why he's um, Brighton aren't to be liked, and that's because um, Brighton have just farmed him straight out to the championship. He's gone off to Stoke, so we're not even going to see him in the in the Premier League for another 12 months probably. So that's that annoyed me that someone else signed a Slavia Prague player, basically. It's just not on. Pilfer <laughs> Prague and then just divvy them out to championship clubs. You love to see it. <laughs> And Shannon, we've heard we've heard about the the transfer that you've uh, you've enjoyed so far. But what what haven't you liked? Um, I was ready to talk about more stuff I enjoyed. I was ready to be positive. So <laughs> go on, now. Go on, then um, give us some more. <laughs> I've really enjoyed. Uh, I'll just say Norwich City as a whole. Um, what they've done, they've signed some pretty good players like Sargent and Rashika. But what they've done with the social media and the YouTube, the behind the scenes showing the players get unveiled from pretty much off the flight, all that sort of thing. I found that really interesting to kind of see what goes into a player's first day at the club. Um, and I haven't seen many teams do that. So if anyone is interested, I'd recommend checking out Norwich City on YouTube um, because it yeah, it shows like some of these players, man, like having to hold up a jersey 50 times in a day and do all this stuff. You'd want to quit, you know what I mean? You'd be so pissed <laughs> off. But it's a, it's a very interesting look at what goes on like on a signing deadline day sort of deal. The the life of a footballer sounds extremely tedious apart from sort of 90 minutes a week for, or sometimes twice a week, right? It just sounds like so much naff bullshit, honestly. <laughs> yes. Shout out, shout out Ben Foster's uh, YouTube channel and podcast. Some of the stories he's got about being a footballer, he makes it out as though it's the most boring job <laughs> in the world. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why they're all gamblers and have horse races and stuff because nothing else to do. And we'll just play like, PlayStation for like yeah, three PlayStation. Hours a day. Or you go Twitch back another streamers. era. <laughs> you go back another channels. era. You go back another era and Tony Adams and co, they're all just alcoholics. They just, just get smashed six days a week and then rock up on a Saturday morning and just absolutely hit it out of the park. I'm now, not sure now, what's a better use of time out of those those options. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, now the they've pub. all just got it. Now they've all just got a handicap below five in golf. It's yeah. been <laughs> one thing that wastes a hell of a lot of time. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll 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 go past you for what's annoyed you. We'll we'll keep you keep you positive, Shannon. Demo, what's what's annoyed you? The, the whole saga to do with um, Ronaldo to to City, and then then he went to United, and um, it, what annoyed me was the Manchester United fans that. You know, one day they were burning Ronaldo tops in the street and then the next day it was, you know, Jesus has come back to life and we are we already crowned the champions after three games. You know, it's that's what annoyed me. I love to I love that Ronaldo's back in the Premier League and that I'll be watching so many more of his games because I watch the Premier League more than I would watch Serie A. But yeah, Manchester United fans are insufferable at the best of times, let alone now. Yeah, I think a lot of people kept the receipts uh, for a lot of the social media posts when Ronaldo seemed like he was on the the verge of joining City. And I think it's going to be great to see people wheeling them out through the course of the season. They were like that um, Homer Simpson going back into the hedge meme and then he pops yeah. back out. <laughs> <laughs> and then popping back out with their Manchester United shirt that yeah. they just tried to burn or something. Just, it's all like sticky tape back together. Someone did the Ronaldo like uh, um, jersey burning uh, video and then put it in reverse, so the flame sort of went <laughs> down the jersey and then it fully appeared like brand new. I thought that was good. I, I, I respect it, but effective. We're yeah. talking about Ronaldo. I tell you, I tell you what, I, I kind of missed in my moment of the week was Jesse Lingard's celebration when he scored. He did the 
he did the Jay Lings and then and then he did the <laughs> It was great. Great to see. He combined his and Ronaldo's celebration in one. No, I'm off him. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy it, Jesse. Enjoy watching Ronaldo from the bench. Yeah. <laughs> and boys, does anyone before we move on, does anyone have an under the radar transfer? Anyone um do you think we should know about? We've we've gone through a few already, but uh any more that have just sort of snuck under the cracks? I think one that probably didn't get the respect it deserved was um, Saul going to Chelsea. I mean, he is he is some player, and he's going into I wouldn't say a stacked Chelsea midfielder, but uh, midfield, but they don't need him um, already with Kante, Jorginho, who's sort of being lauded as like a potential Ballon d'Or winner. Um, Why, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> so you got uh, Kante, uh, Kovacic, and uh, Jorginho, and they, you're throwing Saul into that mix, and they, they really just don't need him. Like that's four midfielders that they've got to try and shoehorn into two positions. So um, I, I mean, he's only on loan technically uh, for twelve months with an option to to make it uh, a permanent deal, but still um, strange deal for a fantastic player who I think will will do really well in the Premier League as well. Um, hopefully he gets a, a decent shot, though. I think one one player, that, there was a bit spoken about him, but um, his deal went through on the same day as Ronaldo, and it was Emerson that went to Spurs. Um, Spur, I think that's a great signing. Right back has been Spurs' real weak point over the last couple of years. They haven't really, really been able to find someone to really take a hold of that spot. They've had Aurier and then Doherty last year, and... Neither of them were ever at their best. So if, if they can get him firing, and he, he really suits that that way that uh, Nuno likes to play with getting his fullbacks past past the wingers. So, yeah, I think that could be a really, um, really promising signing. I don't think he'll, he'll in the squad straight away, but he'll really grow into that team, I think. I think um, Wolves with Trincao as well, that's kind of gone under the radar because, you know, oh, we'll sign a Portuguese guy, blah, blah, blah. But geez, he's impressed me a lot so far, and he's—you can tell—he's not even anywhere near what he could be potential-wise and fitness-wise. He looks a very promising player, and I think he can link up very well with like Neves and Jimenez. Wolves might be a real smoky for like a European spot. Well, that's that's the problem with Wolves, though, is that like sort of no one's no one's quite on form yet, and they've had a really slow start to the season, though. So, man, I'm I'm on the the Trincao sort of bandwagon, but I'm I'm just nervous at how slow they're starting the season, right? Like we we saw with Damo's boys last year that a slow start can just get away on you, and before you know it, it's Christmas and you haven't won a game yet. So you just got to hope day Wolf- and you haven't won a game yet. <laughs> <laughs> did they get to a, to Australia Day or February without having won a game? Or no, when no, did they no, win no. a game? Uh, it was like the third or the fourth of January. Thank you. Sorry, but the only dude. team to ever ever go to the new year without a win, so uh, you can pin that pin that on the wall. <laughs> Record breakers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Congrats. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of people like wolves, and and um, I don't. I hope it wasn't just because of Nuno that people liked wolves. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, I guess, how how public opinion sort of uh, fares as far as wolves go, especially if they're not winning and they're sort of hovering around the relegation zone to see if people sort of still sort of stay on the wolves bandwagon or if they go oh, fucking they can go piece off back to the Champions League now. <laughs> so championship. Well, sticking on transfers, boys, um, you know, it would, it would be remiss of us to have Shannon on the pod and 
and not spend a little bit of time, you know, in an extended transfer chat um, with a focus on the Indian Super League. Shannon um, being, I have to say, probably the only Kyrgyzstan-born Australian Indian Super League transfer whisperer. <laughs> Mate, how, like, I, know you've been on a of, I know you've been on a couple of um, ISL podcasts and things like that, but I mean, yeah, this in this off season, I mean, you've, you've really you've really seemed to have become the the guy, the the Fabrizio of um of the ISL. <laughs> how how did that all come about? Yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, but like I get at least 50 messages a day, no joke, asking me pretty much the same questions. I think it might have been when I said Maddie Steinman was coming to Brisbane Raw, and then two months later it happened. Then all of a sudden, I got like 500 new followers. But yeah, they're they're persistent. I'll tell you that. Like some of my journo mates who have been associated with me have told me that their inboxes are getting flooded with questions about like this and that. And speaking of transfers, um, I think we're going to segue into it. So I'll just do it. <laughs> They've linked every single Australian player, everyone who's ever stepped foot in the A-League to the ISL. Like anyone crazy. who's ever eaten Indian food. That's yeah, not a bad if, shout though, because there's, there's a lot going that way. If you've ever thought about Australia, you've probably been linked to the ISL. It's <laughs> like my, my, my favorite one is someone asking me if um, Craig Noon was coming to the Indian Super League like a day after he signed for MacArthur because <laughs> they read on social media that he signed for the Bulls and the Indian Super League has a side called FC Goa who are known as the Bulls. So there was a big thing where like literal <laughs> articles in proper like um, Indian respected publications were saying that Craig Noon was joining FC Goa, so that was that was certainly something. That transfer was not a Goa. Here he is, Shannon. I had uh, I I asked the boys a question in a group chat the other day, and they they told me to hold it for you. So I'd, okay. I'd say is um, Brad Inman obviously just signed obviously just signed for Mumbai City, and I said to the boys, is that just a back backdoor way to go into Melbourne City in 2022? Yeah, I like I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> You heard it here just, first, listeners. Exclusive. Just on the, just on the same contract. <laughs> He's on the same contract. They just uh, ship him out to Melbourne instead of Mumbai. Maybe send him to New York for six months as well. <laughs> Let's give everyone a turn to Brad Inman. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Jacob Pepper, who, like he and I have been chatting. He's been linked to the Indian Super League and he knows that I like the posts about transfer. So I've been trying to like bait him where he's going for his next move because he's been linked everywhere. And he, he kind of fucked up a little bit because there's one piece of advice I'll give anyone who talks to Indian Super League fans. Don't say anything in direct message because they will screenshot it and we'll get it around. <laughs> so, no, no save and chat. Come on. There's a, there's a screenshot going around of someone asking him if he's going to the Indian Super League, um, North East United or someone like that. And he said he was. So I asked him about it and he's like, oh, there's just rumours, mate. There's nothing in it. And I'm like, oh. What about this? And well, his response was pretty much just like, oh, fuck. I'd seen uh, a screenshot of uh, a Brisbane Raw fan asking him if he was mm. coming back to Brisbane. And he just responded with the little eye emoji like, Ooh. you know, I feel like he's baiting everyone on in his DMs for a bit of fun because he's a bit bored at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit of a shit stirrer. I'll give him that. He's doing Everyone's well because a lot of um, people are talking about him now. 
everyone's favorite condiment based um seasoning based player i would say <laughs> i reckon jacob pepper would go down well in the um in, in the indians in the indian super league though i mean good good spicy player and over there so Jesus. or the mls with rail so he's got spotlight. far better spices than pepper <laughs> do you think he just wouldn't catch the attention then just not, a colorful, not a colourful enough character. Um, the the other thing I want to say about the Indian Super League is, I mean, Northeast United. I mean, what sort of a name is that? You can't just take a a, a, a compass direction and then put United after it. That's just not cool. Not cool. That would never happen in the A League. <laughs> Any transfer rumours to or, or from the ISL that we need to keep our eyes on? Luke Devere probably. Um, he's been linked a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, and. I think there are some bases to it. So there's like there's a lot that goes into a transfer, you know what I mean? Um but this Luke Devere thing has been hanging around like a bad smell. And some like um they have one designated Asian player. Some club directors have told me that they're signing or in talks with signing an Australian player who's played one international and when Luke Devere's um linked and he's played one international Man, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in there next year. So that that's probably my tip of who's the most likely to go from the A League to the ISL. But watch it not happen as soon as I said that. He's probably already signed for some fucking A League club now that I've said it. <laughs> yeah, you just mark that down with some uh, big eyes emoji, and uh, we'll we'll just uh, put a pin in that. But you know, just before we move on, just I mean, we we've got to know if you've got a catchphrase yet. Um, no. <laughs> um, if anyone can come up with. With one, I, it's like Lisa Simpson when everyone has that catchphrase and she just has, if anyone wants me, I'll be in my room. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm like the Lisa Simpson of football. I don't have the trademark like Fabrizio Romano and all that sort of thing. I just... We need we need to get you a catchphrase though, Shannon. I, I, feel, like, the line. I feel like it's necessary. <laughs> Say maybe the we line, should, Shannon. Maybe we should put a put a tweet out to uh, particularly uh, your your Indian followers, uh, Shannon. Your Indian Super League followers. I think they'd be able to come up with some good material. Maybe you know if they if they put some out there, whoever gets the most uh, likes or, or uh, retweets. Um, <laughs> You know that has to be your phrase for the year. What do you what do you think about that? Oh God, that that's a dangerous game you're playing. Like, <laughs> that's a dangerous every game. Every you go on, you have to say it. Say the line. <laughs> so it's a goer. Is you don't think that'll catch on? <laughs> never catch on. It'll never catch on, Tommy. Just like I've got, I've got to hire this... you as a like ghostwriter, Tommy, because some of your one-liners are just ridiculous. But this is why I'm not big in the Indian Super League, though. You can see it's just <laughs> the reason why I just haven't caught on over there. <laughs> yeah, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk a bit of Ruse and their World Cup qualifiers. <laughs> Boys, Roos in Vietnam, 10 consecutive wins in humid conditions in Hanoi for the Roos. We'll, we'll go through some key moments from that game. In the 29th minute, there was a penalty check for Vietnam, handball shout on Grant. It wasn't called in real time and wasn't given by VAR. Damo, should it have been a pen? 
I'd be I'd have been hugely disappointed if if it went the other way. So I I think it was I think it was a penalty. Uh, I think we got away with that one there, and I think a goal for Vietnam there, and we went behind could have really changed that game. So uh, I think we got lucky. Any contrary opinions, or do we all do we all think we dodged a bullet there? I have to say that I, I agree in part with uh, with Damo. I thought um, uh, the the changes to the handball or over the last two years, and and we've seen really soft penalties given that um, my 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 stomach dropped when when this happened and it went to VAR. And as soon as he went over to the uh, to the screen, I went, oh, well, this is going to be a penalty. And I just sort of mentally I accepted that it was going to be and sort of it was kind of I was pleasantly surprised when it wasn't. Um, I still haven't really made up my mind whether or not I think it was a pen. I was sort of probably leaning towards not being a pen sort of uh, when I saw this in real time. But um, really, I think the takeaway for me was that I just I don't know what handball is anymore. Like I, I don't. I don't know. I feel like I don't know the game anymore, and it's a really weird feeling to like watch as much football as I do and feel like I don't know when I see something. Like, which way are the officials going to go? It's just a strange place to be in right now, I guess. And um, that that would have been a penalty, a stone cold penalty, twelve months ago, and and even twenty four months ago. So it's a strange place in football right now. So this is sounding a bit like a conspiracy theory to me, um, Shannon. <laughs> Why wasn't this handball awarded? Oh, mate, it goes back years. Like, you know, the Socceroos, Graham Arnold before the match, he gave the ref, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. It's a, it's a big conspiracy. I'm not allowed to talk about it. Here we go. A <laughs> no, um, thousand dong. To, to be honest, I, like, like Tommy, I thought as soon as he went to the screen, I thought, okay, they're going to give this. It's going to be harsh, but they're going to give it. And I was a bit shocked when they didn't because, you know, I I thought that's what the rule was um, with being consistent with the other calls I seen. I thought, okay, this is going to be a penalty. So I just don't know. That that's that's like the sad thing. I just don't know. I don't think anyone knows any anymore unless unless someone slaps the ball, you know, out of the air. I don't think anyone knows what's going to be called a handball anymore. To be honest. So I think maybe the like the takeaway from this for me was that like there still are 50-50 calls and like this probably was a 50-50 a 50-50 call and like on another day another official probably would have given it on and on another day another official may not have given it and it might be one of those uh, ones that just literally goes 50-50 uh, 50% of the time. Just continuing on then um it was Ryan Grant then that uh ends up scoring the goal, a uh, header from a late run into the box. It's his first goal for Australia. Should Vietnam, should the Vietnam keeper have come out for that or should the defenders have come back to it? Um, you know, it, it looked it looked like it was occurring in slow motion to me. I think yeah. personally the ball by Frustic was just that good that it put the doubt in the Vietnamese keeper's mind. And that's why Frustic is Australia's best player by far at the moment because he can produce that ball which makes the defenders hesitate, which makes the keeper not know what to do. It's shades of Bresciano, that ball. And, yeah, so I, I don't blame the keeper at all. I think it was just a tremendous ball by Hrustic. But Before Damo jumps in, I just want to say that I wholeheartedly agree that Hrustic was fantastic in both matches. <laughs> Ooh, both matches well. More on that uh, when we get to the China game. But, Damo, what, what did you think of this Yeah, uh, that, that, ball, <laughs> that ball that went in... Yeah. 
I mean, in the end, it's a great ball, but there's 10 yards of space between the goalkeeper and the defensive line and the ball nearly bounced twice before it got yeah. anyone touched it. So it, it's kind of a, yeah, it looks really good, but in in the grand scheme of things, it's a bit of a nothing ball because nine times out of 10, the keeper comes and collects that and everyone goes, oh, what a waste. You know, just get your foot on it and keep it. So yeah, yeah it, it, it looks good. But um, it was a bit of a nothing ball for me. But, hey, we got a goal out of it, so you can't really complain in the end of the day. Yeah, I, I sort of think it was both. Um, it was both an excellent ball and why was there so much space between the keeper and the defenders? Like the, the, the defenders either should have got it or the keeper should have come to claim, but it was in that corridor of uncertainty and, yeah, we got the goal. So uh, Ryan Grant again, you know, done all kind of voodoo magic. He, he worked to get that goal, <laughs> but uh, he got it, so... Um, but just on the performance itself, um, there's been a lot said about this match um, already and, and we're only less, we're, we're less than 24 hours after the game's finished. But the Roost had six shots, just one on target um, for 70% possession. Um, Vietnam, on the other hand, created plenty of chances. Shannon, what did you make of the performance? I'm just going to go straight out and publicly apologise to my girlfriend. I was hyping <laughs> it up all week. This is the first Dockeries match that she had the chance to watch live. That wasn't at some ridiculous hour. We were both so excited, and it was it wasn't pretty to watch. You know Did what I mean? Did she watch the whole game? She fell. Asleep. She tried. She tried her hardest, but she fell asleep. <laughs> I and for effort. Like it's just, it's just such a shame because the first ever football match I watched with her as well was a bit of a boring one. It was um. The K-League, it was the first like football <laughs> match for ages. Simon Hill commentated on it, and it was I rubbish. Remember. So I showed her like her introduction to football. She is a football fan now, but her first two introductions to like the national team and football have been absolutely shit out. So apologies to her for that. Tommy, what did what did you make of the performance? Um, was it was it a bad performance for you? This is um, there seems to be a lot of debate on on soccer Twitter today about whether or not it's important uh, to just get the three points in a match like this, or whether or not the performance matters. And um, I probably fall somewhat into the latter category that um, it's it's really the result that matters um, first and foremost. And if you if you play well, fantastic. But um, ultimately, I, I don't think we're expecting sort of champagne football from from Graham Arnold, uh, especially in a game like this. So it's a it was a rubbish pitch. It was a deep lying opposition, and we're still I think there's still plenty of skeptics about this Australian squad um, as far as sort of the broader Asia uh, Asian uh, sort of heavy hitters um, go. So um, it's fantastic that we've we've got maximum points so far, um, and and you need to be able to put away teams like Vietnam who. I actually think they were better than China, which I think uh, it surprised me a little bit anyway. Yeah, the, the way I see it, it's, it's very similar to, to Tommy in that at the end of the day, the result is the most important, and especially when you're going away to places like Vietnam, not easy places to play, conditions. Usually the fans make it difficult. They were pumping crowd noise through the uh, stadium PA during the game to try and replicate the fans. So that's something I haven't seen um, in an empty stadium, but I mean, in how many iterations of, of Socceroos teams and managers have we seen where we all want and ideally love them to play brilliantly every game, but they just don't. We we, we can't play well every game. We, we never have. Um, even under Ange had poor performances at times, but I think the difference between 
what we have been in the past and what now Graham Arnold has got the team doing is we win games despite playing poorly. And I think winning 10 in a row is, is testament to Graham Arnold. All he wants to do is win and qualify for the world cup. He doesn't, doesn't care how he does it. So um, that that's the way I see it. And I think that's the way he sees it as well as if you can go away to Vietnam and get three points, I don't care how we get it. We get the points, we go home. And, Ten in a row, yeah. That, I mean, let's let's just dwell on that for a moment, then, boys. Ten in a row—that's pretty impressive. Um, I read the stat today that said, yeah, we're the first AFC nation to do it in one campaign to win ten in a row, and only the fourth country ever to do it. And you know, we've been one of those other countries, as of course, in in Oceania as well. So, yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. And I mean, of course, like you know, just on the performance versus results, I think that sometimes people can get a bit a bit simplistic when it comes to saying, well, we have good performances and lose or um, bad performances and win. I don't think it's, I think it's a bit more nuanced than that because of course winning is all that matters at the end of the day. But I think some people worry in games that we should win, um, like notwithstanding it's Vietnam, notwithstanding it's on the road, people worry about the performances because they think, well, if we're not creating chances against Vietnam, how are we going to go against Japan? How are we going to go against the Saudis and, um, against good teams in the World Cup, and I think that's what people start to get worried about. They don't necessarily, uh, they aren't necessarily ideologues like you. you they don't want Ange ball all day every day, um, but um, you know they're they're just worried about what a bad performance or a shaky performance will mean for future games. Colby, I think the the other thing that's important to note is I think that those um those comments that like oh we should be playing better against the likes of sort of Vietnam is a little bit disrespectful to Vietnam as well. I thought mm. they they were actually pretty well organised and and they were across the pitch apart from their goalkeeper. They were, well, they were a short team as well, and we had absolute behemoths like Harry Suter, right? And I think everyone would have thought, oh, well, we'll just get in a, get in a couple of corners, and we'll just, uh, yeah, knock a few knock a few headers in from from big Harry Suter, and, and we'll piss it in like we did against Nepal. But like Vietnam, they're a serious football nation, and they showed that they were they weren't pushovers. And I actually thought they were really good on the counter, and there was a few times uh, where I was sort of like. Um, the expression hand in mouth, heart in mouth, where I was sort of thinking, oh, geez, they're going to nick one here. And you thought that it wasn't beyond Vietnam to to nick a goal on the break. And um, so I think it's um, keeping a clean sheet against a team that does counterattack like that um, in in their backyard has proven to be really challenging for the Socceroos since we've joined Asia. So the fact that we are getting better at, um, I guess, countering that counterattack that's a positive. Like, let's take that away from this game instead and say, yeah, cool. Like, we did a great job against a team that actually looked pretty decent on the counter. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting to to kind of read on Twitter and, and on social media the comments leading into the game. People obviously expecting us to, to get three points and people expecting a big result. And and when the, the pregame show started on Channel 10 and Luke Wilkshire was a, an introduction into their team for, for this game. I thought his analysis of how the game was going to play out was ended up being picture perfect in the end. He's he's obviously an uh, up-and-coming manager. I think he still manages at Wolves, doesn't he, Tommy? Um, he's done good things there. He's done, done good things with the University of Wollongong team as well, where they went to the World Uni Games and all this stuff. So he's, he he's clearly knows quite, his Wollongong an, history. quite intelligent manager. And when he was speaking about how he thought the game would unfold, he, he 
picked out three Vietnamese players and he picked out exactly how he thinks Vietnam are going to break Australia down. And within 10 minutes, it had already happened three times. Exactly what he said was going to happen. And it continued to happen for the next hour. Um, it was only really the very end of the game where Australia kind of just got the ball and Vietnam didn't want to chase anymore and the game kind of just fizzled out. But for, for that first 70 to 80 minutes of the game, I actually felt that Vietnam looked far more like scoring than we did and, and we were just hanging on to, to a lead and just trying to get home and, and take the three points with us. So, yeah, I, I actually thought that was really interesting. Um, Luke Wilkshire predicted exactly how the game would play out and no one else thought it would play out that way. And Tommy, you, you mentioned that you know we've improved on um, playing against teams away in you know not not great conditions. You know the the pitch wasn't um, perfect, and the humidity would have been a factor as well as the the travel and the limited time there on the ground. But one thing that we still are struggling with since um, you know since Timmy was in the team is that the number nine position. Um, our goals of you know coming from our wingers and our defenders like Ryan mm-hmm. Grant and Harry Sutar. Uh, are the Roos still struggling to find the right fit for that position? I think so. I mean, even um, what was it? We went to the last World Cup with Naboo as our as our number nine, and he's not even really a number nine, even in the A League, right? So um, we've got. I feel like we've got a, a bunch of uh, number nines that are that are really good um, in the in the A League in Taggart and McLaren, but. Um, not quite sure that they're sort of international standard and it, it could just be where, where the squad is at right now is that like we we've got some good players in certain positions, but we're, we're struggling to sort of break through to kind of that next level. I think there's, there's no denying that um, Taggart and, and McLaren um, that they can do a good job. I think for the Socceroos, but are they going to be getting us out of the group at a, at a world cup? Yeah, not sure. Ironically, I think that, Yes, Taggart and McLaren are our best goal scorers, our best pure number nines. But but the way Graham Arnold sets the team up to play, Mitch Duke for me has to be the one that starts because it, when at the moment we're not relying on our number nine to score goals to win us games. Our goals are coming from everywhere else around the pitch because even if we play Taggart or McLaren, they're not scoring anyway. So we're having to rely on those goals elsewhere. And if Miss Duke comes in, he brings everyone else into play and all he does is he just works and works and works and he'll give you everything and he'll bring everyone else into the game and kind of allow the wingers to get further forward. He allows the midfielders to get past him. I actually think he suits our system the best and I was really surprised he didn't start versus Vietnam. Shannon, who would you have in the nine? Yeah, it's difficult because um, all of the Socceroos striker candidates are very different players. Um, I do agree with Damo, a player that is not so much focused on being like a pure poacher like Jamie McLaren probably would benefit the way Graham Arnold sets up his team. Like Apostolos Giannou, not the best player like by any means, like not a good goal scorer, but he does that hard work. He holds the ball up and he lets the wingers in the number 10 you know, create some chances. But I think Adam Taggart, he's got to get fit. He's got to get regular game time at um, Osaka because I think it's a toss-up between him and Jamie McLaren, who's our most talented number nine. But I think um, Taggart is a bit more versatile and fits into Arnie's system a bit more. So that's who I'd go for. Just quickly on the China game then, boys. Um, we won't spend too long on this. Um, it was also a, a tough one for the Roos, despite the 3-0 scoreline. But in the end, again, they got the job done um, over in Doha and took the three points. 
just wanted to know from you though, and and let's let's start with you, Tommy. Was was this more a case of the ruse being good, or were, were China just not up to it? I think it's a bit of a case of all of the above. I, I thought we were we were very good. Um, I thought China weren't very good. I mean, um, their their big sort of big name player was what Wu Lei, and everyone was talking him up, saying how good he was, but. I honestly didn't even know he was on the pitch in the second half until about the 75th minute or something like that. And I thought, this guy plays for a top-half team in in Spain? Kidding me, right? Um, I thought he was just anonymous. Um, But having said that, though, uh, I I did think that Marty Boyle, I thought he was just red-hot in this game. And every time he got the ball uh, or even without the ball, whether um, it was uh, just off-the-ball movement or or, um, putting pressure on the Chinese players, I I thought he was exceptional. And he looks like our best player at the moment um, for, for me. The other thing that went in the the soccer's favour, and we mentioned it um, as far as the Vietnam game went, was that the conditions were actually far more favourable for us in in this this one in Qatar because it was played in one of the air conditioned stadiums. The pitch actually looked in pretty decent nick, and so everything kind of went in our favour um, for for this game. We've talked before about how we sort of lose that home ground advantage, um, but also have the disadvantage of still going to other other nations, but. Hey, if if we're playing our home games in Qatar and it's they they're going to be played in similar conditions and on a pitch like that, hey, it might actually be okay as or, or the best of a bad bunch as far as circumstances go. So, my real question after watching the China game and more so the Vietnam game as well is, who is Australia's best left back? Because we have three very good left backs and they all offer different stuff and they all look pretty good. Callum Elder, who looks a lot like Colby, I thought was um pretty good <laughs> on his debut. I'll take but, that. Like it, it's a toss up for me between like do you I'll want tell the you Colby will pick at left back? <laughs> do, do, do you want the attacking um mindset of someone like Smith, who's like a real asset, but he's maybe a bit worse defensively, or do you want like the experience of Beich, who's a bit more well rounded? So that that's the big question that come for me out of China, which. I know he's probably making the pot a bit longer, but what, what do you boys think is like? Who who do you boys think is our best left back? I'll jump uh, in because I thought Brad Smith was no no good against Vietnam. I thought he was probably our worst player on the pitch, and we didn't have many good players on on the pitch in that specifically in the first half as well before he got hooked. I, I was so, confused um, by by Brad Smith because, of, in my opinion, if if I was coaching the team, I would have played it. Um, McGree on that left side because McGree is going to tend to drift in anyway and Brad Smith likes to get forward so and Mabil we know is a winger who likes to stay wide get wide and run at people I I couldn't for the life of me understand why Mabil and Smith were standing on each other's toes for you know 60 minutes before Smith got pulled it it benefited neither of them they both had a poor game because they got in each other's way so it wasn't a good showing for Brad Smith because I don't think he was allowed to play the game he usually plays. But I, I would love to see Callum Elder play more because from what from what I've seen in all reports, he's killing it in England and the Hull fans absolutely love him and that they rate him so high. Yeah, and I I think that's right, Tamo. And that, that was one of my comments about the Vietnam game as well. It looks like I mean it just looks like yeah, he hasn't he hasn't played too much with with my bill on that side before and yeah and and he, he needs to be playing with someone who's who's going to tuck in and and they, they just were you know in each other's space the whole time so yeah it wasn't wasn't really the best opportunity to have a good showing but 
It's a good question from Shannon because it looks like Graham Arnold's still a bit undecided too. And, you know, we've seen all of them get game time and all of them are getting a chance to to prove themselves and play for the spot. So, um, and, I, and I don't think it's by any means settled. I mean, if you had to if you had to say one, I think Beige would probably edge it just on his experience and, and how well-rounded he is, as Tommy says. But I think Smith and um, Elder definitely got a crack at it. So sometimes I get annoyed with... Um just the dialogue around uh, the Socceroos games, obviously we're and even the way we've been talking about Vietnam and we, we should be beating teams like that comfortably. And then we, we do beat a team like China comfortably and everyone says, Oh, but we didn't even play well. Anyway, China were just horrible. It's like, we can never give the team credit for doing what they did. Well, I thought the team was set up brilliantly against China. I thought the team flowed, um, I thought Suta and Sainsbury at a partnership together were brilliant. They looked faultless the whole game. And just, I, you know, I think everything clicked against China and that's why it looked like China was so bad. They just never had a sniff at the ball. And then it didn't quite click in, against Vietnam and it, we criticised the other way. So it, it's, you can never really win. Um it's a, it's a, a game of such fan. fine it's a game of such fine margins, isn't it? Like that, even just that combination of Mobile and Smith slash slash is that can be enough to sort of make a team look really disjointed because where in in that China game there was sort of space and overlapping and movement, it, it just was a bit clunky on on one side, and that's I mean that's a third of the pitch, right? So um, it's almost no surprise that against Vietnam, it, yeah, like you say, it didn't look quite as slick. Welcome to being a Socceroos fan, Damo. <laughs> well, the Roos, the Roos are going to take on Japan and Oman um, in the October international break, and it's been suggested that the Oman game could be played in Sydney, of all places, at Bank West, um, in front of crowds uh, of double-vaxxed punters. Boys, would you like to see the Oman game come to Australia and, and in Sydney? I mean, if feasible, yes, I would love to, but, I mean, at, at this stage, I don't, I don't kind of see how it's going to work, but... Yeah, who knows? I mean, if you're an Australian, you'd love to see Australia play in Australia. So uh, if there's any chance for someone in Sydney to be able to go and watch Australia play, you'd be absolutely cheering. But I just can't see how it's going to work. Look, I think it's great that the um, the FA are looking into the feasibility of, of this uh, this game being played with fans. So <laughs> You had that one stored for days, haven't you? Mate, I didn't. I thought, I was like, oh, geez, he's, he's totally missed, a, he's missed one here. I'm going to scoop that up and just just step it over from the one-yard line. So uh, very good. Thank you for that. Um, Tap in for Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think everyone would love to see games back on Australian soil but as Damo says is it feasible is it going to happen because man like over a thousand cases every day in in like the Sydney area and it's not slowing down it looks like one of those things where people are saying like when I win the lottery when I win the lottery is like what it's going to be like when COVID stops so I think it's good that they're implementing the thing with like double vaccinated people but you know there's still a risk and I'll, I think it would put the um, possibility of the Socceroos playing at home further back if an outbreak were to happen due to an event like this. And and the thinking, I guess, probably is that it's better to play it in a state that's already like COVID ravaged, right? Because then you know what's the difference? What's the you, you, there's less risk of bringing it in, you know. Whereas if you're playing it in Queensland or WA, like you know, take the game to Tassie. 
How's when's the like last time Tassie had a ruse game? Tasmania well, still exists. They just floated off in Tassie, and then the players brought in COVID or something. Come on, R.I.P. Tassie. Yeah. Oh wow! After family Christmas, they'd all have it. <laughs> um, and, and quick, quick predictions from these games: uh, Oman and Japan, big, big couple of games. Um, Shannon, start with you. Um, I think. Socceroos are going to do well against Japan. Um, we always rise for the occasion against Japan. Doesn't matter what our form is. Doesn't matter what the squad is. And I think we're either going to get a draw or a win. Um, I think Oman's going to be a much more difficult task, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with what um, Shannon was saying about Oman. They're, they're real smokies, I think, in, in this. And I think um, they... I didn't watch the game, but I had a bit of a, a peek through some of the stats, and I think Oman definitely um, went really close against uh, Saudi Arabia. If anything, uh, I do wonder if Saudi Arabia might have actually got away with one against Oman this week. So, um, yeah, I think Oman, they might uh, really push, uh, I guess, those three big established nations in Japan, Saudi Arabia, and Australia for, for that third spot. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all pans out. Japan, we, we know exactly what we're going to get there, but um, if you ask the average uh, uh, Australian uh, or soccer um, Socceroos follower what they think about Oman, and you'll probably get a, a few blank stares. So, um, yeah, a bit nervous about that one now. I think if we can get four points uh, from these two games, we've done well. So, uh, you know, both are going to be incredibly tough games. I think they'll be the two toughest games in the whole group for us. So, good to kind of get them out the way in the same window where we can get real focused and get the good squad playing together. So yeah, four points from these two games would be, would be a win in my opinion. Some week for, um, for Japan in, in that next round of qualifiers, they're going to play us and Saudi Arabia in, in the space of a week. So Japan's qualifying, um, group could could really be in tatters uh, after if they don't get two or one or one maybe two uh, positive results in in that round of uh, of games all right boys uh, one more quick break and then we'll be back to look ahead to match day four of the Premier League boys very quickly club football and match day four of the Premier League resumes this weekend with plenty of your boys in action so let's start with you Damo. Brentford and Brighton. Um, this is going to be the first time they'll have met in the top flight. And uh, Brentford, uh, unbeaten so far. One win and two draws. What are you predicting for this one? I think it's going to be a draw. It's uh, my boys versus Tommy's boys. He's now a big Brighton fan. So, no, I think it'll be a good game. But I also said that about Brentford's last game and it uh, nearly put me to sleep as well. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm predicting a draw. And United will be looking to expand on their dominant record against Newcastle, who have only, I think I read today, they've only defeated United at home once in their last 36 meetings at Old Trafford. Oof. So, I'll, I'll, and then you you throw this young bloke, CR7, into the mix, who I think could be one to watch. Sh- Shannon, do you give Newcastle any chance? Yeah, um, I'm going to make a tit of myself and say that Newcastle are going to win. Alan St. Maximin is going to... Show Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, how a real player plays. Um, <laughs> that's probably the silliest prediction I've ever made, but, like, watch it come true. Here we go. 
Tommy, uh, will West Ham and Mikel Antonio be able to keep up their blistering form when they travel to St. Mary's to face Southampton? I've got a few stats about West Ham. I, I read that they've won their six of their last seven Premier League meetings with Southampton, scoring 15 and conceding just two. Ooh. And since, the David, since David Moyes returned to West Ham in January 2020, West Ham are just one of four Premier League clubs to have scored 100 goals in the competition, along with Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool. So, with that in mind, Tommy, give us a prediction for this one. Well, look, some of those things, some of those stats you you rattled off. To, to be honest, I'm not that surprised about. Oh. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I think it was two weeks ago on the pod that uh, I said uh, when when Manchester United played Southampton that uh, that they would be looking at racking up a cricket score, and that ended up one all. So, look, no one's rating Southampton this season. Uh, I know we all slammed them on on our preview pod, um, and and everyone's saying West Ham are good. Almost everyone, I guess. But um, West Ham are in decent form. I guess uh, the, the eternal uh, worry is that um, about Antonio's hamstrings. He, he played for Jamaica uh, this week. He made his debut for them against Panama. Um, and they play again tomorrow as well. So still uh, still plenty of travel for him. Um, and really, he's he's the key, right? Like um, He's been in fantastic form uh, so far this season. So um, if he can he can shake off any fatigue from an international uh uh, uh, window, then uh, then I think West Ham are in with a decent shout of, of getting the win. Um, I, I think West Ham will, 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 will get up though. So, and um, Colby, what about uh, your boys Liverpool away to Leeds on Monday morning our time? Ellen Rose, not an easy place to go. How do you see that shaking down? I don't think there's going to be a lot of defending happening in this game, <laughs> I think it's going to be defending optional. Um, I think it, it will be. High-scoring win to Liverpool. I'm going to say a three-two. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, of course, we'll be covering those on the pod this weekend uh, and and much more. But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you all for listening once again. Um, and if you've enjoyed the show today, you can support us by uh, gassing us up to your mates on social media or letting us know uh, what you thought about the pod. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video version of this pod, which comes out a couple of days before the pod drops normally, um, and we'll link to all of those in the notes to this podcast. Next week, match day four of the Premier League. Until then, enjoy the football. Mm-hmm.